I'm your host, Andy McGrath. Today we have a, a very special guest, Dr. Ken Hovind. Ken's a creation scientist who has dedicated many years to the study of dinosaurs to proving their coexistence with man. He's the founder of Creation Science Evangelism and Dinosaur Adventure Land. He's toured the world extensively, giving talks on dinosaurs and creation. I've enjoyed many of his research uh, theories and of his cinemas. Uh, and over the years, I think you know, whatever your worldview might be, we can all learn from one another in this somewhat strange subject of cryptozoology. It's multi-denominational schools of thought. Hi, Kent. How are you? Hey, doing very well. Thanks for having me on your program. That's great. Thank you. Uh, uh, Kent, you are a very actually a very easy man to get a hold of, which was surprising to me. <laughs> okay. When I decided to interview you, I thought, well, I'll send them an email. I'm sure nobody's going to get back in touch. And um, yeah, so I'm very, very happy that you're here. Now, for people in in this side of cryptozoology, um, they probably know who you are, but not many of them would have heard the story of how you got into the subject of living dinosaurs and cryptozoology. Can you just tell us a, a bit of background on that? Well, sure. I was raised in uh, Illinois uh, in a family of engineers and teachers. My dad was electrical engineer, my brother mechanical engineer, my mother public school teacher, my older other brother public school teacher. So we, we were always very inquisitive, trying to learn things and study things and figure out how things work and just kind of the way we were raised, you know, if you don't know, ask questions. When I was 16 years old, someone showed me how to become a child of God, how to be for my sins and got became one of God's children, um, which doesn't mean I'm special, it means my Heavenly Father is special. But I began reading my Bible and I was majoring in math and science. I ended up teaching math and science for 15 years, high school level. Uh, three years in college, and uh, uh, but uh, I, I right away realized there's a conflict between what I was reading in my Bible and what I was studying in science, because the textbooks clearly said the earth is billions of years old and dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. I mean, that permeates all the literature. And yet I'm reading in the Bible that God made everything in six days. In the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, God wrote that on a rock with his own finger and handed the rock to Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And then I read in the Bible several times where it says man brought death into the world. I guess from a purely logical perspective, if there's a God who created this place, it would be only right that he made it perfect. But today, obviously, the world is not perfect. There's a whole lot of suffering and, and death, which I don't think God would create initially. Man introduced death and suffering into the world by his disobedience to God, at least according to the Bible. So for the early part of my Christian life, I was very conflicted with, I said, somebody is seriously wrong, like about the dinosaurs, for instance. The Bible says God made everything in six days and nothing died until Adam sinned. Well, then dinosaurs had to live with Adam and Eve. It's like, duh, no brainer, if the Bible's true. Now, I went through a period of time where I started to try to compromise and try to put both together. Maybe the evolution and the Bible go together. And it didn't take me but a couple of years to realize this is this is not going to work. OK, there are too many problems with that. So when I was uh, while I was teaching school, I began gathering information on dinosaurs that may still be alive. Cryptozoology and it, it has become a passion of mine that I can't get away from. I've now interviewed over 100 people who claim they've seen a living one. Uh, I had a missionary friend of mine who was in a, a Congo in Africa for 43 years as a missionary. He died a couple of years ago, but 
he said he had pygmies in his church over there that he had introduced to Christ that had seen and eaten a, 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 a patasaurus, a small one. Uh, they said it was only 20 feet long, mostly neck and tail, body about the size of a hippo. When he showed them a picture in a coloring book of an apatosaurus, they said, yep, yep, that's it. That's Mokali Mbembe. Just like, you know, it's no big deal. Of course, everybody knows about this, you know. <laughs> so I think if, if you've been into the study of crypto, cryptozoology, you quickly realize there are thousands of reports of people seeing what obviously are dinosaurs. The problem is people come into this study with a prejudice in the back of their mind. They've already decided dinosaurs died millions of years ago because that's what they were taught in school. And so, therefore, they have to find another explanation for what people are seeing. If you're willing to get rid of this prejudice and just look at the look at the evidence honestly, you'd have to say there have been thousands of reported sightings of dinosaurs in the last thousand years where people have pretty obviously encountered a dinosaur, whether it be in the ocean, you know, like uh, the Chronosaurus and some of those, the Plesiosaur, or whether it be in the jungle. Uh, and I don't want people to get the impression that there are millions of dinosaurs left in the world and you need to be careful when you go to Walmart. You know, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's not that way. But in, especially in remote parts of the world, there are certainly lots of places where they could hide. Uh, if you look at the population of the Earth today at four point or seven point four billion people, the Earth today, the Earth is about 30 percent land and 70 percent water. And even the land, quite a bit of the land is still not explored. The Congo swamp in Africa is the same size as the state of Florida, 55,000 square miles, and estimates are it is 80% unexplored. It is mapped by satellite, but that's very different than exploring it on the ground. And even if you explore an area, it's quite possible that you would not see all the creatures that are there. They would hear you coming and move and avoid you while you're doing your exploring. Uh -huh. We have 140 acres here in uh, Lenox, Alabama, straight north of Pensacola, and we have 11 deer that live on the property and we hardly ever see them because they hear you coming and they move over and then when you're gone they come back and so the fact that they're not always seen does not mean they're not there and this is in you know alabama which has been civilized for quite a while so i think that if you start with the concept okay maybe everything i've been taught about millions of years and dinosaurs is wrong let's just simply look at the evidence and i think cryptozoology is a great field to just simply examine and everybody comes away with the conclusion, these people are seeing what appear to be dinosaurs. Now, the only reason it creates a problem is again, because of the prejudice people come into the study with, if they've already decided, okay, the world's billions of years old, dinosaurs died 65 million years ago, then they're gonna have a hard time interpreting the evidence. But if you can eliminate that prejudice from your mind and say, well, Let's just look at the evidence and you realize there are thousands of people over the centuries that have reported seeing what quite obviously are dinosaurs, ancient artwork. Uh, lots of times depict what I think are pretty obviously dinosaurs. So ancient literature talks about, they, usually they called them dragons. The mm -hmm. name dinosaur wasn't made up till 1841. But so that's that's been a passion of mine for a long time because to me, <clears throat> I just want the truth. I don't care. I'm not obligated to anybody to teach something because I get a paycheck from them and I have to you know, bow to the party line. I just want the truth. And the truth is, it certainly appears that dinosaurs have always lived with man. Man has killed off most of them, calling them dragons. There probably are a few still around in remote parts of the world. And that's the study of cryptozoology. Problem is, that whole thing verifies that the Bible is true. 
And when people start to realize, oh no, the Bible may be true, then they really start to rebel because they don't want that book to be true. They would rather have control of their own life. They don't want God telling them what to do. And that's the bottom line. That's the real problem with this study. All right. So well, this, this, well, no, this, that's, that's, I think that's, a, that's a, a good lens for a full answer. And that it certainly is a very beginning. Uh, I think personally, from my perspective, for this, uh, sure, philosophically, it seems to be a, the study of cryptozoology seems to be a multi-denominational field. Um, and you have people that are more uh, materialist or evolutionist in in, um, in base who are looking for things and conceiving of them still existing and somehow justifying millions of years. But you have the largest body of people, I suppose, trying to th figure out what other creature could be masquerading as this dinosaurian type of cryptid. So for in Loch Ness, for example, you get things like the seal serpent theory, which is the theory of a, a, a giant 40 foot long necked seal uh, that's never been discovered, that's somehow coming into the loch now and again, instead of, you know, some aquatic lizard like a plesiosaur, which most lake monsters seem to correspond to. Um, there's a very good researcher there, actually. Um, Roland Watson is his name. He's written a few books on the subject, on the whole Loch Ness Law subject. And he calls it the um, my the my theory suck the least theory, okay. which basically means, sure, you know the concept of um, a group of seals swimming in a forty foot line uh, without being seen, or a giant forty foot long neck seal, or uh, a sturgeon masquerading as a sea, a sea serpent or a lake monster. It's not very likely, but it beats the concept that you know something from the Cretaceous period is still living on into our modern era. And it becomes acceptable because of that. So I, you know, I can see where those people struggle. And from my side, then there's a more of a paranormal view on uh, some of these creatures being somehow spiritual or otherworldly, which I find completely unacceptable. And there again, we have another article of faith that you know that uh, the materialists or the creationists or the hey Steve, we froze up again. Oh, you're, still no, you're okay. You're back. Okay. <laughs> you're back. Have. So, um, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. What, what I'd be really interested in finding out from you, actually, and since you've studied the subject for so long, is uh, what types of dinosaurs uh, are most commonly reported in the world today. So, you know, like an Apatosaurus or a Pterosaur. What, in that grouping, what types uh, of reports do you most commonly receive? Well, I think it would be purely logical that most of the reports would be of sea-dwelling dinosaurs mm -hmm. because A, the world is 70% water, B, it's harder to explore the water than it is the land. I mean, very easy for a creature, you know, especially with today's motorized boats. You know, sound travels great underwater. They can hear you coming 10 miles away and mm -hmm. they avoid the shipping lanes. So in the days of sailing ships, there are thousands of reports of people sighting sea monsters and they describe them as looking like a plesiosaur typically, or a chronosaur. But <clears throat> you mentioned the Cretaceous period. That was another great study of mine since I taught earth science for 15 years. This geologic column is one of the biggest jokes ever pulled off on humanity. There is no such thing as a geologic column. There's no such thing as a Cretaceous period. All of the layers of rock that we see in the world would have been deposited in one year during Noah's flood. And that's easy to prove with petrified trees that are standing up connecting all these layers. 
thousands of trees are found petrified in the vertical position mm -hmm. running through these layers. There are many pictures they can watch on my seminar. Just go to drdino.com, <clears throat> D-R-D-I-N-O, and Google Seminar Part 4. Or you can order it from our, our ministry, 855 Big Dino, uh, extension 1 is our office. So it, the, the geologic column does not exist. And I was shocked after all the study I had done, you know, to be a teacher and learning all about the, you know, Cenozoic, Mesozoic, Paleozoic. And you got to know all that stuff to pass the test. And I realized the whole thing is made up in 1830. There's no geologic column. People don't talk about this much. And I don't even think cre creationists don't even talk about this much. I think they should. <clears throat> but the moon pulls the water up on the earth, the tides. But as the tide comes up, the earth is spinning under this bump. The moon pulls a bump of water up and it calls the high tide. Now, as far as the moon is concerned, all the moon ever sees is the bump. But the people on the earth see the bump go up and down because we're spinning under the bump. It would be every six hours, you'd have high tide, low tide, high tide, low tide, except while we're spinning, the earth is also, the moon is also moving. So it ends up about every six hours and 25 minutes from high tide to low tide. But if the earth were smooth, or at least completely covered with water, the tides would become harmonic. Anybody with music knows you can pluck one string and three more strings vibrate. They set up a harmonic frequency. So they've done studies on this and said, if the earth were smoother, if you push the mountains down, raise the ocean floor up, smooth it out a little bit, the water, there's enough water right now on this planet to make the entire surface covered 1.6 miles deep. That would be even kilometers over there, a lot, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, 1.6 miles would be the depth of the water if the earth were smoothed out. <clears throat> the harmonic tide, then would be about a 200 foot tidal change. Uh, that'd be about what, 60 meters tidal change every six hours and 25 minutes. Now, <clears throat> if you have a bump of water coming up right here in Lenox, Alabama, I'm at 31.31 degrees north latitude. The earth is spinning at this latitude, 886 miles an hour. <clears throat> We're traveling toward the east at 886 miles per hour. So, during Noah's flood, that, that high tide bump would stay under the moon, but Lennox would pass under that bump, and the bump would go up and down, up and down, every six hours and 25 minutes. Okay. Well, if there's a 200-foot bump of water coming up, where's that water coming from? From the sides. So you would have lateral sideways movement of the water at 886 miles an hour for a short time, then it would slow down and stop when the bump is filled, and then it would go the other way at 886 miles an hour till you get to low tide. This pattern of not only the water going up and down, but sideways, happening every six hours and 25 minutes, going on for months. Noah was in the ark for a year, according to the Bible, uh -huh. and there are over 300 reported flood legends around the world. I mean, every ancient culture talks about the flood. There's a website, creationism.org, that has a list of all the flood legends discovered so far. But this water going up and down and sideways would deposit layer after layer after layer in, in minutes. Uh -huh. get, a, get a jar and put sand, rocks, gravel, clay, mud, water, leaves, shake it up really good and set it down. In minutes, it'll form layers right in front of your eyes. Yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll sort things based upon body density, based upon surface texture. So I think the animals that we find in the fossil record in the ground, there is really no fossil record, but all the animals we find fossilized, like dinosaurs, etc., are sorted a little bit based upon their body density. Reptiles have a similar body density to each other, 
and birds have a lighter body density. So birds would be found on top and reptiles down lower. Now the evolutionist looks at that fact and says, aha, this proves reptiles evolve first and then birds. Well, there's a totally different way to look at it. Maybe they were sorted after they drowned. They were sorted by hydrologic sorting by their body density. And of course, birds are found on top. They have hollow feathers, hollow bones. They're going to float. They would, plus they can fly around and avoid drowning till the last possible minute. They're the last ones to die in a flood. Mm -hmm. Birds would be, whereas clams would be the first ones to die. They're already at the bottom. So when the mud slides and water's swirling around, they just clam up and ended up buried under 500 feet of mud and they would turn to stone in the closed position. We have hundreds in our museum here in Lenox, Alabama, petrified clams in the closed position, which means they had to be buried alive. Because you can walk along any beach and find a million seashells, but you hardly ever find a matched pair, and you never find them closed. As soon as they die, the muscle relaxes, they open, and something eats them in, in a minute. The seagulls or the uh, sea urchins or the crabs or something will come eat them. So <clears throat> the geologic column, the Cenozoic period, does not exist any place. If we find dinosaurs in a similar layer, that is much easier to explain saying, hey, they would have a similar body density or animals like to herd together. You know, cows stay with cows. Mm, yeah, cows, don't, yeah. cows don't hang out with alligators. They don't like being around alligators. Where alligators like to hang out together. So if there were a massive flood, it would be much more likely to bury them according to species, sort of. You know, that would be a factor involved in the flood burial. So if you're willing to just forget everything you've been taught which oftentimes through history, people have to do that, just start over. Like George Washington's day, you know, all the doctors were taught the doctrine of humors. If you're oh, sick, yeah. you've yeah. got bad blood, take out your blood, you'll get better. Well, they had to, they had to stop and rethink everything. No, that's not true. They didn't know it about- It didn't work out very well for Washington, did it? It did okay. not, no, they bled him to death. So I think it's, it's kind of that way now with our public school system, teaching kids about the Cenozoic period and Mesozoic and Jurassic, Triassic. It's all a joke, it doesn't exist. I mean, this pervading paradigm uh, that exists at the moment, I think it's, it's very, very hard to go against that because, of course, that's where the majority of the scientific community lies. And uh, by lies, I mean rests. And what rational or sane person that has no belief, religious belief, is going to look at that and say, well, this whole body of people must be wrong. So psychologically, I sometimes look at it and think, well, for myself, when I was, and I've been a Christian since I was 16, um, I used to be what is called a, a theistic evolutionist. Um, and it was, before I thought about it, it was a, a very easy concept for me. Okay, well, science says millions of years, so God must have used millions of years to create everything. And then I found out about correlation in the dating of fossil layers right. and the circular reasoning of using index fossils to date layers and layers to... Um, date index fossils and I found out that the actual column itself doesn't exist in one place in any order in that order anywhere in the world right but that this correlation is used to to put the layers together which is based on the theory so it kind of has, has to the theory has to be in place to prove correlation right already it has to exist it's, it's a circular argument I was a bit stunned by that I thought, oh that's very strange like, Surely there has to be some mistake with this. I think I actually found out about listening to Don Patton, one oh, of yeah. his lectures. Uh, and I didn't know anything about Don Patton. He just kind of popped up. Um, and somebody had been to my church when I was 16 or 17. I think it might have been Ron, actually, on one of these tours. Um, 
Ron Wyatt. Uh, very possible, anyway. And he showed us you know, cryptozoology materials, and that kind of piqued my interest. That's when I started getting interest. I was 16 years old. And uh, anyway, it was a big concept for me. And then I started thinking to myself, how could I have thought all these years as a Christian, a believing Christian, that evolution was true? It doesn't seem to make sense because you have death before sin and all of the other hard to reconcile concepts in our religion. Right. Um, and since then, you know, that the interest has gone on, I've become more focused on cryptozoology now. And I leave the, um, the creationist argument to, to guys like yourself. But I do think it's important to uh, include creationists in the, in the conversation about cryptozoology because essentially we're all looking for the same thing. We might have different reasons for looking, but it doesn't make our information any less valid in right. sharing it with one another. Uh, I personally do feel that if anybody were to find a dinosaur, a living dinosaur, that they would somehow manage to rationalize its <clears throat> existence and it would be factored in, like the coelacanth or anything else. I mean, that's as good as finding a dinosaur, the coelacanth. Yeah. Right. It's just not as impressive in its appearance. Or some of the, um, I forget the name of the tree they found in Australia, the pre prehistoric tree. So, you know, I'm very open-minded. I don't, it's not my position. Or I don't think it's my purpose to push that aspect of it. But I do think the creationist research on this subject is very important uh, to to the area. And my view is that we should all sort of come together on it a bit and everybody can take away what they want. You might not get a lot of converts, but you could get some good um, information. Now, uh, moving on from the, from, the, uh, from the creationist bit, which some of the listeners might not be that interested in, um, I would be very interested to know about some of the eyewitness encounters you've investigated during your career. Um, what are some of the um, common psychological and social side effects of claiming to have seen an unknown or extinct creature? What have you experienced with the people you've talked to? And what effects have they experienced socially and psychologically from their experience? It obviously quite often uh, alienates them from their friends. They People think they're nuts. I went and visited Sandra Mancy. She saw the Lake Champlain monster and took the classic photo of Lake Champlain monster called Champ uh, between New York and Vermont in, in America. <clears throat> I said, Sandy, we talked for quite a while. I got it on videotape number three of my series, uh, Dinosaurs and the Bible on uh, drdino.com. I said, Sandy, describe this creature to me. She said, well, my husband and two kids and I were on the beach in the Vermont side uh, and we, saw this creature stick its head up like a big snake, only its head was way out of the water. It obviously was not a snake. We could see a large body under there. She said the head turned back and forth, looking out toward the lake, Lake Champlain, which is a very large lake, mm. 120 miles long. Uh, she said, we watched it for several minutes. She said, uh, I asked my husband, I said, go get the camera. So he got the camera. She said, I took one picture and then collapsed to my knees. I could not believe what I was looking at. And the, the photo is classic, you know, look up Champ, Lake Champlain Monster. So I asked her, I showed her the picture. I, I said, is this the picture you took? She said, yep, that's the picture right there. I said, Sandy, do you think you saw a dinosaur? She said, no, I know I saw a dinosaur. That's what she told me. So, but it caused many of her friends to say, this woman has gone crazy because people start with the assumption 
Okay, evolution is true. Dinosaurs died millions of years ago. Now let's squeeze all the facts into that box. And the facts don't fit in that box, okay? The problem is the box, not the facts. Get mm. rid of the box. Look at it honestly. There are many. A missionary friend of mine was in Congo, Africa for 43 years. I told you about him, and he died years ago. He's from Ohio. But he had pygmies in his church. When they showed them a picture of an apatosaurus, they said, yep, that's Mokali Mbembe. Lives out in the swamp. Mm. They said, don't get close. He's not friendly. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Even, even the alligators are afraid of them. Mm, I've heard that actually. Um, yeah. I'm actually uh, doing a, a talk on Michelin Bembe in, uh, in uh, Cologne in October in Germany uh, with Michelle Ballo, who's been there for 20 years in Cameroon on the Cameroonian side. I think okay. he married to the Frenchman, the famous uh, French explorer. Can't wait. Uh, my biggest fear is that they'll invite me. <laughs> On an expedition. <laughs> well, please, please have them call me. I'd like to interview them on the phone. I like. To, I haven't met that one. I, I meet a lot of people that are involved in cryptozoology. Yeah. But... Sorry. Yeah. No. No. He's very hard to get hold of. Actually, I've been trying to get him on this, this program. Now, I know they've got him to the conference, but I've not been able to get any individual contact with him. And I, I believe it's because he's basically centered out in some rural village yeah. in Cameroon somewhere near the Congo side. And he's not, I suppose, maybe checks into some internet cafe now and again and, you know, and checks his emails. But I've, I've not received any reply. But I'll, I'll definitely, definitely pass you on. Um, talking about th this, this element of uh, believability about people thinking that you're crazy, how can you be sure when you're interviewing witnesses that they're telling the truth? And are there any techniques that you use to ascertain whether you're dealing with a hoax? Now, I'd imagine because you've become a prominent figure now, you might often get quite spurious reports fed to you, either by uh, attention-starved persons or, or people wanting to hoax you to make you look foolish. So, so how do you tell if somebody's telling you, how do you ascertain whether somebody's telling you the truth or not? Okay, so um, what I'd be really in, interested in is that when people are, are calling you and telling you about sightings that they've had, um, how do you... How do you ascertain whether they're telling you the truth? Since you're a prominent figure now, and people could be calling you to, to gain attention for themselves, or um, people wanting to debunk you might be calling you to to hoax you with the uh, intention of embarrassing you in some way. So, what techniques do you use to to ascertain whether somebody is telling you the truth? Well, I don't get many of the hoaxes. Surprisingly, I've had one or two. Uh, I let them talk, and then I will say, now according to this person, this is what happened. So. It's really not on me. It's, it's their testimony. And if it proves they're a liar, well, then they're a liar. <laughs> but it's not me. I personally have not seen a living dinosaur. I've interviewed probably 100 people who claim they have. Mm -hmm. And the testimonies certainly sound convincing. But again, if you go back to the bigger philosophical question is, is that possible for there, mm -hmm. be, for there to be a living dinosaur? From the Christian perspective, well, yeah, the Earth's only 6,000 years old. Dinosaurs always lived with man. People killed most of them, called them dragons typically, and there could be a few still alive. It's not a big deal. Now, if you start with the evolution perspective, oh, dinosaurs died millions of years ago, then, of course, it looks impossible to that the person with that mindset is not even able to start thinking that hmm. there might be a dinosaur still alive. That's just, you know, in North Korea, if you did a survey of all the scientists in North Korea and asked them, is communism good? Is communism the best hmm. system of government? I bet there'd be 100% agreement. 
<laughs> yeah, sure. Because if, well, you dis- if you disagree, they're going to shoot you, right? Yeah, I, and you, you suffer in a different way here. So I, I've interviewed one or two professors uh, who have researched Bigfoot, uh, Bigfoot seriously in the U.S., actually, U.S. professors, and they have suffered for it. You know, they were lucky to have tenure when they started coming out as researchers Right, as it were, but um, if they if they hadn't had tenure, then they might have been in a lot of trouble. And there have been several campaigns against uh, one or two of them by their associates to to revoke their tenure because right. of the opinions that they hold. Um, now, talking about evidence and um, the background for living dinosaurs, you mentioned earlier archaeological evidence of coexistence with man and dinosaur. Um, and uh, representations in ancient civilization. So, firstly, what type of archaeological evidence uh, is there in the fossil record or or any other um, archaeological uh, strata? And is there any pictorial evidence in ancient civilizations, carvings and sculptures and, and things like that? Well, I cover many of those on my video number three, Dinosaurs in the Bible, on drdino.com. But uh, in 1908, there was a big flood in Glen Rose, Texas, which is south of Dallas, Texas, about 50 miles. And it's typical for that area to flood. They've got, I think, the second fastest flowing river in Texas right there going through Glen Rose. Mississippi River drops, one, drops seven inches per mile. It has to flow a mile to drop seven inches, where this river drops 17 feet per mile, wow. Paluxy River. So when, when it rains and they get a flood, the water is roaring through town. Well, the whole area is hundreds of layers of limestone stacked like pancakes on top of each other. This 1908 flood peeled off the bottom of the river. The bottom layer of limestone, two feet thick, was ripped up and moved downstream, crashing and banging all the way down. And it exposed a new layer underneath. Another layer of limestone, brand new layer exposed to the world. There weren't many people living in that part of Texas in 1908. There aren't too many people living there now, actually. It's a pretty bad area. But uh, they, they, they went out there and found dinosaur footprints had been exposed that had been protected by the layer above until 1908 flood. They also found quite a few human footprints with these dinosaur footprints. Um, I've been there many times myself to see because I don't want to take somebody else's word for it. If I can, I'll go, I'll go see. A friend of mine has a museum right there on the property where this, was, where this happened. Uh, Dr. Carl Baugh, they can go to uh, uh, Glen Rose, Texas and Google B-A-U-G-H, Dr. Baugh. He lives there, has lived there for many years and has, has them right on his property. Well, the idea of human footprints, large human footprints being found with dinosaurs is just anathema to anybody who believes in evolution. It can't be true. So they tried everything to explain away the human footprints. So Dr. Ball had a film crew out there filming, and everybody wanted to come watch. Had a lot of spectators. He said, "Now look, guys, this trail of human tracks goes right foot, left foot, right foot with a six-foot span. So the guy had to be, you know, 12 feet tall. He's got a six-foot span, and it stops at the edge of the of the rock, the two-foot layer of limestone that the river did not peel off." He said, "Everybody, get your cameras ready. We're going to bring a backhoe out here. We're going to peel off some more limestone that undisturbed." and see if there's another foot. It should be a right foot, and it should be right there. When they peeled up the rock, there was a right footprint right there. Amazing. So they exposed new footprints while the skeptics watched. Then the state of Texas banned any more digging along the river because it might interfere with Mother Nature and water flow, who knows, whatever. But 
there's a, several books on the topic. In 19, oh, 1930, during the Great Depression in America, some uh, people went out there uh, looking for these footprints. And one guy wrote a book about it. They actually made a state park out of it, Glen Rose State Park there. But they only talk about the dinosaur footprints. They don't talk about the human footprints. There's one guy <coughs> who really has uh, a hatred for creationists and Christians. It's been reported that he goes out there with the crowbar and destroys the human footprints. Oh, wow. That he's doing that because you got to understand evolution is a religion. It's not a science. It's a, they strongly believe in it. And just like over the centuries, the Catholics would kill anybody who disagrees with them. You don't dare disagree with the Pope or we'll shoot you. Or in North Korea, you know, they kill people that disagree with their, their wonderful leader. This is, or Hitler, you know, it's, this, it's been this way all through history. People that strongly believe something don't want anybody to disagree with them, and they sure don't want to be proven wrong. Mm. And so guys like me who say, hey, I think the earth is 6,000 years old, dinosaurs lived with man. There's lots of evidence for this, not only from the fossils, but from eyewitness testimonies today. I become, I become public enemy number one to them just because it's a, it's a threat to their religion. And it really is a threat to their religion. I mean, it does seem, um, and I have seen some of the um, <coughs> vitriol that's been directed towards you online. I have had a, a brief search. It does seem um, rather a lot, considering you're just <laughs> one man talking about what he believes in. And essentially, I would imagine that lots of your followers of this, you know, of creation science evangelism, are already Christians who want to spread the word, and there must be some conversion rate to it as well. I, I doubt that thousands upon thousands of people are coming through the doors and coming to faith. So, and if they were, you know, what's the, the bother in that? It does seem to be a, a strange, from my perspective, a strange thing to fear. Um, do you think, and I, I haven't, I didn't prepare this question, but it just occurred to me, do you think that people care if uh, Muslims are creationists or Jews or Hindus are creationists or do they do you think that people generally only mind if Christians are creationists do you think do you see any differentiation there that is an interesting question I think quite a few other religions of the world would would also be creationists obviously mm. they would say yeah God created it now they may have a different God than we have and they certainly may have different beliefs in hundreds of other areas but I think there are literally millions of people who believe that God created the world. Uh, the last survey showed about 40% of the people in America believe God created the world in the last 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. In spite of 90 years of propaganda in the school system, forcing this evolution theory down kids' throats, 40% aren't buying it. And another 30% on top of that, or maybe more, believe, yes, God made it, but it might be millions of years old. So only about 10% of Americans are uh, full-blown atheistic evolutionists. It's a very small minority. And I think they should, they should go start a private school and teach evolution to anybody that wants to pay and come learn it. I'm not against them spreading their religion. I'm against them forcing me to pay for them to spread their religion. Have they, have they managed to, to um, from a scientific perspective anyway, have all opinions taught in American schools? the uh, uh, creation science, evolutionary science, is, is there a situation like that that exists? Could it exist? Or is the, um, are the penalties for the teachers too steep 
uh, for them to attempt such a such an endeavor. There's a great video called uh, by Ben Stein called Expelled, where he interviews people, teachers particularly, who are expelled from teaching because they doubt Darwin's theory. Wow. This Ben Stein, the Jewish actor, you know, uh, just Google Expelled. It's fabulous. He interviews these people. Say, look, what happened? Well. I questioned evolution and I lost my job. Wow. It's just not a lot of question. What about students in some of the, um, you know, um, I suppose geology students would definitely suffer from that particular um, exclusionism. But are there any cases of, of people studying to be geologists or creationists being um, failed or, or kicked out of the university or, or not given places in universities because of their beliefs? Anything you know about? Well, I don't. I can't think of any names right now. You may want to Google Kirk, Kurt, Kurt Wise, K-U-R-T-W-I-S-E. Kurt Wise got his PhD at Harvard University under Stephen Gould. Oh. And Kurt Wise is a creationist and teaches in a Christian college. Uh, Kurt and I went um, spelunking together one time. I've really only met him that once. We spent all day exploring some caves up in Tennessee, but. Uh, he really experienced a hard time getting a PhD from Harvard because of his creationist view. Oh. I, I encourage students all the time. I say, if you're taking a test in school and the question says, you know, how old is the earth? You should write down the textbook says mm -hmm. 4.6 billion. However, this is not correct. That way, yeah. the teacher knows you did your homework, you learned the stuff, but you didn't swallow it. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you're not putting them in the position to have to fail you then because there's knock on effects too. If they pass you for saying 6,000 years, essentially from their perspective or the the school prospectus perspective, they have uh, allowed you to to enter an incorrect answer. Right. From their perspective, uh, and I suppose that has consequences for them too. I, I, I am very interested in in bridging you know, these gaps between these communities, not for the purpose of converting them, because I don't believe that's that's any of my business at the moment. But I think in sharing a pursuit, you share an understanding for the other. And some people may may find a way through in, in that case. But at the very, very least, we would um, we would gain more information on the subject of cryptozoology. Now, um, talking about and sort of the last bit looking um looking at what's in the bible actually um are there any dinosaurs reported in the bible i i hear that they are the leviathan comes to mind for some reason um what, what is the leviathan and is it the only dinosaur in the bible or are there others well the word dinosaur would not be in a king james 1611 bible because the word dinosaur was made up in 1840 so they're not going to have that word in there the word computer is not in the bible either because uh, there were no computers back then. But uh, the, the word dragon is mentioned 22 times in the Bible. Just Google dragon or dragons, and it's most of the time pretty obviously describing a dinosaur. Uh, in Job chapter 40, which is right dead center in the Bible, the book of Job, God said to Job, Behold now behemoth, which I made with thee. And it goes on and describes this animal behemoth. It says he's the largest animal in the world. Okay. Now, some reference Bibles say this is an elephant. Well, no, the dinosaur would be larger than an elephant. Secondly, it says he has a tail like a cedar tree. Well, an elephant's tail is not like a cedar tree. No you much. Know, no. Probably, be a, 
probably be an apatosaurus or a brachiosaurus of some kind, you know. So I did a videotape on uh, that topic. Uh, it's on video number three about dinosaurs and the Bible. Uh, that would be one would be dragon, two would be behemoth, and three in Job chapter 41, the whole chapter is describing Leviathan, and it says he could breathe fire. Now, I've got a videotape on that, 45 minutes, explaining all about Leviathan and the four different possible answers for how could this creature breathe fire. Uh, we talk about that on the Leviathan, the fire-breathing dragon. But yeah, Job 41 is, is quite obviously describing some kind of creature they called Leviathan. I happen to believe probably a T-Rex or something similar to that. And the Bible says he could breathe fire, but it also says he, he could go underwater. The creature apparently could go on both land or water, and many animals do that today. You know, they can go, of course, if you're a T-Rex and you're, you know, 25 feet tall and can breathe fire, you can go wherever you want. <laughs> Nobody's going to stop you. <laughs> so I suspect it's probably something like a T-Rex, Leviathan, the fire-breathing dragon of Job 41. <coughs> but <coughs> Leviathan is mentioned uh, quite a few times in the Bible. I think there are seven other references, if I recall, uh, to Leviathan. So... That's, that's very, very interesting. Well, um, I was talking to uh, Australian naturalist Gary Opit recently, and um, he's been studying, uh, he's had a few cryptid sightings in Australia, himself of a marsupial lion and a possible yowie. He's been investigating a lot of reports, and he talked about something called the Burren jaw, which in its description appears to represent something like a, a T-Rex. Um, that lives in the, the swampy, you know, highly um, tropical areas of Australia. Right. And they said there are only a few witnesses of it. It is largely anecdotal. And then he joked, of course, if you encountered this thing, you wouldn't expect there to be many witnesses of right. the creature. <laughs> surviving <laughs> witnesses. Yes, yeah, surviving witnesses, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, just, uh, just quickly, what are your thoughts on Bigfoot reports? Um, now, I think I know your answer to this, to this, but could this be a relic hominid? Uh, and how does that theory fit with the creationist perspective of the origins of mankind? Well, I've interviewed probably 20 people now who claim they've seen a Bigfoot. The descriptions are all very similar, usually over eight feet tall, usually bipedal, running on two legs, uh, hairy, stinks like the movie, you know, Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, I, I don't have an answer. I wish I did. It, it puzzles me. I don't think, you know, the Bible says we were made in God's image. Uh, if there is a Bigfoot creature that turns out to be, you know, eight feet tall and hairy and stinks and runs on two feet, there would still be several possible explanations. One is, is simply an unidentified species of ape. I mean, there are apes, chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans. There's quite a few varieties now in that family of, of creatures that are certainly non-human. There's nothing human about them. Uh, <clears throat> there are thousands of, of differences uh, anatomically and genetically. Uh, so Bigfoot may be another one of those, an unidentified species of ape. Another option people have come up with, I don't know if I believe it or not, but they say it might be a cursed race of humans. You know, God got mad at somebody and put a curse on them and they became, well, King Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, he ran around for seven uh -huh. years, and his hair grew long and, you know, uh, uh, his fingernails grew like claws. You can read the story in Daniel. Four. I'm familiar. Yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with that. I just thought that, that really meant with Nebuchadnezzar that he became wild and unkempt. Right. Essentially. Right. So yeah. that's another option. But 
I don't know. The truth is, I've studied it. I've, I've read stories by the hundreds. I've interviewed many people who claim they've seen one, and I've decided, I don't know yet. I'm open for ideas. Do you think there's any reason why a bipedal ape should should be another form of man? I mean, for my mind, I know most apes are not bipedal, but they do have arms and legs. They don't have four legs, for example. So, and I don't know what the, um, biologically, I don't know what... Um, type of difference would have to be made to have an ape like that that was bipedal. I know we have Gigantopithecus, uh, you know, small remains of Gigantopithecus in the fossil record. Um, is there any reason for you, from your particular perspective, that a, an ape couldn't be bipedal? Are you willing to say, well, it could just be a bipedal ape? Well, the problems anatomically are in the hip and in the neck. See, uh -huh. most apes, they, their, their backbone is horizontal to the ground. Humans, mm -hmm. it's vertical. Yeah. Well, when, you're, when your backbone is horizontal, your hips are not supporting your whole body weight. And so a person who walks upright has a very different hip structure than an ape uh -huh. or an animal that walks, you know, horizontal. Plus, the neck has to attach 90-degree difference, you know, if your spine is horizontal versus vertical. Uh -huh. So there is the occiput atlas and the, the cervical spine and there's there are anatomical differences in the, where the uh, neck attaches to the head at the occipital bun. There would be differences. So there are quite a few monkeys or apes that can walk, you know, long distances on two feet. Uh, that that's a tough one. That's why I said I've studied it till my brain hurts, and I don't I don't have yeah. an answer yet. You know, I do think there would be theological problems with having a a half human, half ape creature. Uh -huh. The question would be, do they have a soul? There, there, appear, there appear to be three different types of life forms on planet Earth. There's plant life, which only has a body. It's alive, it grows, it reproduces, but it doesn't appear to have any consciousness of life. Uh, secondly, there's animals, which obviously are different than plants in many ways. Animals have a body, but they also have a consciousness of life. They're, they know that they're alive in a different way than plants do. Thirdly, mm -hmm. there's humans, which not only have a body and a consciousness of life, they have a consciousness of God which no animal appears, there's no animal prays before it eats, you know, or even mm -hmm. seems to be aware that there is a higher power. Of course, some humans don't think there's a higher power either. That would put them in the animal category, I guess. But, <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> I think there, I would put three different types of life forms, plants, animals, and humans. Now, we share many similarities with the others because that's what we eat. You know, if we were completely, totally different, we, we could only eat each other. So God mm -hmm. created all the different life forms with the basic proteins and amino acids so that we can you know, the brown cow can eat the green grass and give the white milk, and I can drink it and get the blonde hair. So that's the part of the cycle of life that God created, so, so we can digest them. But that's not evidence of any relationship, I think. It's evidence of a, of a very wise creator. As far as if Bigfoot were captured and put in the, you know, New York Zoo, and it turned out to be an eight-foot-tall bipedal Harry and the Hendersons, you know, uh, mm. I, I don't know. It hasn't happened so far. There have sure been yeah. many many hoaxes and frauds, why somebody would want to run around in an ape suit in the woods, especially here in Alabama, they would, yeah. they would get shot in seconds. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that's been my theory on it. Another theory I had, there was a, a great advert here at the end of 2016 uh, for a, a company called Argos. It was a Christmas ad. And they had these um, roller skating Yetis, bright colors. And there were animatronic suits. The people that did the special effects for James Bond did it. And um, they were rolling down the street and picking up products that they wanted the people to buy. You know, that's how they, they featured the products. 
and the animatronic faces were amazing. You know, they were fantastic. But still, and if you reference something like the Paddy Patterson Gimlin film and the, the musculature you can see in the movement um, below the the hair on that that particular piece of film, they were still unable to give that kind of definition to these incredibly expensive special effects pieces. You know, these these costumes that they had, and that was you know these are these that's a Hollywood style production, and yet. You know, we we're supposed to expect that there's people out there in the woods that can somehow um, do better. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting concept. For me, it's, it's a very interesting one. Anyway, now, um, I understand that you have a, a free adventure park called Dinosaur Adventureland. Yes. Uh, where children and adults can come and, and learn about uh, the, creation, the creationist perspective from dinosaurs, where they fit into history. So um, just tell us a little bit about that. Where is it? When is it open? And, and what can people do there? Well, about three years ago, a man called me. I was in Pensacola, Florida. He said, Brother Hovind, I saw your videos. You have changed my life. I said, well, good. That's what I'm trying to do. He said, how can I help your ministry? I said, well, we've been trying to find land up in Alabama to build dinosaur adventure land. We want to have a campground, a science center, a museum, a theme park, you know, all free. And he said, have you found some? I said, yeah, it's an old gravel pit. There are 10 lakes on the property, nearly 140 acres. Um, and I told him what they're asking for. It. He said, all right, I'll buy it. He bought it and gave it to us. I never met the guy. I still never met him. He gave us the whole property. We've been building like crazy as money comes in. We don't go in debt, but just all done on volunteer labor and people donating to help us stay open. Dinosaur Adventure Land. Everything we do has a science lesson with a spiritual application. Similar to what Jesus did, you know, consider the lilies, consider the sparrows, you know, consider the ravens, go to the ant, thou sluggard. The Bible is full of science lessons with a spiritual application. And so that's what we're doing. We have hundreds of them already open and thousands more in the planning to do science lessons, which can teach something, a spiritual application. And people love it. They come from all over the place. I think that sounds sounds very nice. And um, if I'm ever in the area, I was in the US uh, for a couple of weeks last year. I would, I would definitely love to drop by and have a look. Um, now, just before we finished, we did talk earlier about the, the separation between creationists and cryptozoology researchers. Right. You're often in pursuit of the, the same mysterious animals. Um, what do you think can be done to bring these two communities together in the spirit of a shared objective or goal uh, from our perspective? From a creationist perspective, what can we do to form better relationships with uh, other researchers in the community? Hmm. Well, I think people can unite under a variety of things. I think England and America had quite a few differences, but we united against a common enemy, Adolf Hitler. So you don't have to agree with somebody on everything. I think the cryptozoology community consists of, of a wide variety of people from probably hmm. every religion. And we can probably all agree that there are thousands of sightings that appear to be Dinosaurs. I mean, we could all agree with that. Now, what do we do with that information? After that is very different. Uh, my goal is is not to try to get everybody united. It'll never happen. You know, my goal is to simply teach what I feel the truth to be, and those that want to hear it, hear it, and those that don't want to hear it, move on somewhere else. So, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get them united on everything. I do think anybody that really studies the topic a lot and becomes knowledgeable on cryptozoology and the scriptures and the the more they study, the quicker they become an independent Baptist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, I am a Baptist, so that's fine. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> um, that, that's fantastic. Well, 
I do appreciate it. It's been really great to pick your brain finally and, and find out some of the things you know, even though we've had a you know a bit of an intimate connection here. It's been wonderful. Um, just finally, where can people support you? I know you've got a few books out. I don't know if you accept donations online or memberships or anything. How can people get involved with supporting the work? Well, thank you for asking. We've been asking people. To, we have a 777 club. I got the idea from an atheist I debated named Aaron Ra. He calls himself the Egyptian. Yeah. He, he said he wanted to get 666 people to support him at a dollar a day, $31 a month, 666. I said, well, hey, that's a great idea. Let's get 777 people to support Dinosaur Adventureland for a dollar a month, 31 bucks a month, a dollar a day. And so uh, people join. We don't we don't send out letters. We don't beg for money. They go to drdino.com, D-R-D-I-N-O, and there's a donate button. They can click right there. Okay. And just give a one-time gift. And some want to donate for a particular project. Like two brothers got together and bought us a big excavator so we can clean out the lakes and do. Um, it's 140 acres, so there's a lot of yeah, dirt to land. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's been amazing watching God supply people come stay here for a week and help us build things and uh, come on, bring a hammer, come on over. We got lots to do, and we feed them and house them and work them to death, and everybody <laughs> loves it. Uh, we are out so far out in the country, the starlight is beyond. Um, you can't imagine. Go up on the sand dunes. Uh, it was an old gravel pit, so there's lots of sand, gravel, and clay, but uh, it's just a stunningly beautiful place and being developed all the time uh, for more science activities with a spiritual application. You can bring your own four-wheeler. We have people sign a paper. If you break your leg, it's on you because uh. our trustees said you cannot guard against stupid. It cannot be done. So don't do <laughs> We're not liable if you get hurt, but if you want to come break your leg, go for it. You'll have a good time. What is that, four-wheelers and ATV? Oh, yeah. Motorcycles. Oh. There's, well, the sand dunes that are left over from when they were mining gravel. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Oh, it's incredible. There's a lot of stuff on our website, drdino.com. There's a virtual tour, or a tour of the place, me leading people around on a tour, showing some of the lessons we teach. and People really, really, really enjoy it. Come back over and over again. It's all free. Fishing is incredible, too. I can just to say a big thank you uh, to you for coming on today. And I suggest that everybody checks it out, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. It sounds very, very interesting and definitely worth getting involved and having a look. Thanks well, for stopping by. If they want to talk to me personally, our phone number is 855-BIG-DINO, like a big dinosaur. 855-BIG-DINO, I'm extension three. I answer the phone hundreds of times a day. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. And thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye.